Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. This is an episode in which we sum up the major events and trends over the past week from 27th of June until 3rd July 2022. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. I'm talking to Tatyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello. Uh, Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. And uh, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ukraine World. We spend a big amount of your support to help people affected by this war and to help assist Ukrainian resistance. So what were the major events and trends in this week? Let us start with new Russian missile strikes against civilians over this week and a little bit of the past week, this became one of these uh, crazy things, the mad things, uh, the mark of, of this war. Yes, indeed. So the week started tragically with this missile strike against Kremenchuk, against the shopping mall, big shopping center, commercial center in the center of Kremenchuk, close to railway station. And around 20 civilians died during this attack. Um, this was a particular attack because the uh, Russian army used new type of uh, missiles, but indeed all type of missiles were, was used. It is Soviet missiles produced, designed in the 60s. And produced in the Soviet Union, so this might be the sign that they are, are already exhausted or closely exhausted their um, uh, high precision missiles they were using during the first months of war. And now in Kremenchuk, let us remind our listeners that Kremenchuk is in the center of Ukraine. It is quite far away from the front line in the east and also in the south, in central Ukraine, Poltava region. And this is, was a deliberate attack on uh, a civilian infrastructure. And uh, many questions were asked, why, uh, for, in which purpose, what was the reason to strike this uh, peaceful city? Kremenchuk was already the target of uh, missile strikes, but against uh, um, petrol plants and all these infrastructure uh, objects. But this time it was about um, civilian Place, a place where a lot of people were supposed to be present. Um, the idea is maybe the most probable explanation of this strike and surely enough of other strikes which happened this week was this is a new tactics of Russian army. They have not a lot of progress in the battlefield. They have um, they are enabled to progress quickly even in the region of Lysychansk. We'll talk about Lysychansk now just in a couple of minutes. But they are trying to organize this terror just to maintain uh, pressure on the Ukrainian government, Ukrainian president, just to, to, to have some kind of compromise. And this strike was followed very closely by other strikes uh, in, during this week, for example, in the village in 80 kilometers from, uh, far from Odessa. In let's, let's, let's focus on Kremenchuk, because we need to explain a few things more, that this is a, indeed a, a strike... Uh, against the the, uh, the commercial mall. So imagine your city, in which you are probably in which you are living, and there are commercial mall in which you are just going with your kids um, every every day. 
right? The, the commercial mall is a multi-story buildings, building in which there are different shops. This is in the in the last years it became when very popular in Ukraine to build such buildings. So you can you can have a few uh, a few shops, a few dozens and maybe hundreds even shops inside. Uh, something from from hygiene, something from cosmetics, something for clothes. There are also cafes. There was a report about a, a young girl uh, who suffered during the strikes. Her face has suffered uh, a lot, and she was just a barista, a young girl barista in this in this mall, and she was just selling coffee. So it is not when Russians are saying that look. They have militaries inside. This is a lie because this, the the people were just in in the everyday activities there, and uh, according to some news, there were about one thousand people inside. There can be one thousand people inside. People were just doing their 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 shoppings. For example, there is a comfy. Comfy is a widespread um, cosmetics uh, brand in Ukraine. And uh, it suffered a lot. And the 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 the, the rocket, the missile, um, President Zelensky showed recently the the video. Uh, this is quite a big missile. And uh, unfortunately, what we now hear from the emergency service uh, is that there are fragments of the bodies. I think twenty eight fragments of the bodies, which are uh, which are taken from the rubble. Uh, we cannot say about the exact number of victims because as for now, I think there is uh, 20 something, 21 maybe, but there are 36 person people missing, right? So we we can't really judge what is the, what is the real number. So it, it, indeed, this is a state terrorism. We cannot just find other words. So we are not discussing uh, the Russia is a state financing terrorism, but they are terrorists themselves. I was watching uh, Security Council of United Nations uh, uh, a day after because there was an emergency to discuss that and many countries participated with their discourses and I was extremely shocked by the Russian position on this issue. They were denying everything but they started, their representative started its speech, his speech stating that Bucha Uh, Mariupol and some other events, tragic events, places were also the matter of YouTube videos. So uh, he wanted to say that they never stroke Kremenchuk, they never used missiles against civilians. This is a complete lie. Many countries were, every, every country was condemning that. Some countries were talking about their own interests, but everybody was condemning such a such a strike and russia was continuing to say that this is a kind of uh, ukrainian invention invention so this is not true uh, b- despite the fact that we were all able to see the um, concrete video of that uh, tragic moment, it was only one missile. So another maybe point to discuss, uh, we know that Russian army uh, usually sends many missiles in one target, but this time this was only one missile and a lot of destruction. I so think there was also another missile on a factory, close, on a factory close, 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 close to this yeah. mall. But one missile was enough 
to distract such a, it is not a small building this is a huge building and to and, and, and right now we see the the videos of the ukrainian rescuers the emergency service and the building is just completely destroyed so it's just there is a skeleton and uh, they have been talking that uh, there is for example the metal and the the glass melted because of the temperature. So uh, let's again think about these figures. Over 20 people uh, are confirmed as dead, about 28 body fragments, and 36 people reported missing. And I'm afraid that they have been just burnt uh, to the if if the metal was if the metal was melting if the glass was melting i guess we should talk about the situation when probably over a dozen of people there is no there is there is no remains of them you know can they just turn to to dust this is this is this is about about kremenchuk uh, let's turn to another strike that you you mentioned in the odessa region uh, i think it was the next day uh, no, it was two days later. Two days later, Wednesday. the the attack on Serhivka, which is a small town, a village, even a village. village, yes, with five thousand people living near near Odessa, in the Odessa region, and there were strikes against the sanatorium and uh, several buildings, including children's building, children's sanatorium, and against a big multi-story building. Yes, yes, indeed. So the same number uh, of victims, 21 died and many wounded. A boy, 12 years old, died during this strike. Uh, the strike happened uh, in the night, so people were sleeping inside. Also, so two strikes. There was two strikes, two one strikes. in the sanatorium and another in this multi-story building. And uh, in the multi-story building, if uh, so people who are living in these apartments, for example, they just, of course, they, they, they were all, all dead. Yeah, they were all killed. So um, the same type of missile was used. So the same uh, old Soviet missile was used to, to produce this strike. And uh, uh, the danger of these new tactics is that Russia really has a huge huge number of these old-style missiles. They are not precise, they are not modern, they have a huge scale of mistake. Nobody knows, I've been listening to many experts, and but even experts, they are not sure about the the real distance of mistake because some, some people are talking about uh, 200 meters, but some people, some experts, military experts, are talking about even several kilometers of mistake, so maybe they were targeting something else. But the problem for us is that th when we were talking about that the possibility that Russia would, will exhaust the number of high-precision missiles in the beginning of war, we were not taken into consideration these huge amounts of Soviet missiles they have. And they will be using it, them, and they are also capable, at least according to military experts, they are still able to produce new missiles of that type. These particular missiles, they were designed to target... Um, uh, ships, military ships, not even objects on the ground. Uh, but now they use them to target civilians, um, just because they don't care. Well, it it will it will fall somewhere. It will produce some kind of terrorist um, effect 
on Ukrainian government, on Ukrainian president, on Ukrainian nation, and that's the target. So they just don't care if they will um, hit this building or just another one uh, in this Sergeyevka. Sergeyevka, just imagine, um, this is a village uh, frequently visited by Ukrainians during summertime. It's a kind of a place families visit with their ki- kids to swim, to have a rest during the holidays uh, and we are in summer period and some people were going there even despite this despite the war just to have several weeks in peace and imagine you are going somewhere to a seaside and you are killed during the night and you just don't understand what's happening because this is immediate when missiles arrives arrives to your business or you are dead just in a couple of seconds Coming back to Kremenchuk, there was this report made by video report published by Ukrainska Pravda, uh, the, but the video was made by the uh, public interest journalism lab, our friends and partners, and th- they talked to this barista uh, who was wounded, but she she's able to talk. She was wounded in the in the head and in the face, and she was saying that look, I was just sitting, and then I I I don't remember anything. I don't remember how uh, she actually walked after the explosion, after the strike, and then I remember something, some moments in 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 the ambulance, in the in the hospital. So indeed, you you, you can just be sitting and and have no idea what's going on, and then and then you're dead, or you're wounded, or you don't have uh, a leg or a, a hand, or you don't have your your close people, people you love. That's that's the reality of this. Let's maybe last detail about that, um, about air alerts. It was an air alert before the strike. And uh, most of people were able to leave the building. So unfortunately for them, but once again, after this tragic, uh, tragic uh, strike, um, Ukrainian government restarted, uh, restarted um, calling people to be serious about air alerts when there are air, even if you are uh, quite away from front line anything can happen and uh, these air alerts should be taken seriously in fact and for shopping malls there are also rules to close shops uh, when there is an air alert and to invite all visitors to leave the building Uh, at least these big buildings, you know, when a commercial center saw a lot of people and they potentially could be a target for such a strike and you are invited to take that seriously. Unfortunately, this is reality for Ukrainians in the south and the east and everywhere on the Ukrainian territory. A few things that we should comment what Russians are saying. So uh, we at Ukraine World are monitoring Russian propaganda, also without partners, uh, Texty or UA. So what they are saying uh, about the Kremenchuk attack, that first, again, they, 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 are, they, are, uh, they are giving lots of different versions. At first, they were saying that it is a staging by Ukraine to get more weapons from the West. This is a quote. Then uh, Russia admitted that it fired, quote, but not at a shopping center. And later it's admitted that it was a shopping center, but, quote, because it is a military facility where stored, where weapons from the West are, are, have been stored. But we, again, the reports afterwards, they show that, come on, there, is, there can be no weapons stored. 
And what what Ukrainian Interior Minister Monastirsky said, if we imagine that there are shells being stored, for example, they would be exploding after the after the attack, for and this fire would continue with explosions. There was no 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 such things, and uh, you mentioned this Dmitry Polansky, first deputy representative of Russia to the United Nations, that he said that quote there was a Ukrainian provocation in the style of Bucha. End of quote. Uh, so the Russian Ministry of Defense said that it was a military object, quote, hungers with weapons and ammunition that came from the United States and European countries uh, in the area of Kremenchuk Road machine plants. But uh, as, as we see from the reality, there was absolutely no such such thing. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's move further and let's uh, let's talk about one of the one of the versions why Russians are are now hitting the civilian uh, objects with not just with shells but with huge missiles that can destroy everything is that maybe they are revenging for losing uh, Zmiyny Island, the Serpent Island, the the famous little rock in the in the Black Sea, uh, close to Romania, close to Moldova, close to Odessa, so in the northern western part of the Black Sea, which Russians are using for them their purposes. First, uh, let us let us ask a question: Why this mini island is so important for Russians? This is strategic place, and we do remember the first days of war when this island was captured, and from that island, the response of Ukrainian sol- soldier to uh, to Russian ship was be- became famous. Why it is strategic? Because from that very place, it is it is a minor uh, island, even even rock. So you have five hundred meters in length and around six meters in 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 width. So so and it's in the most longest place. So this is an extremely small island. But why it is important? Because Russians were there to put their systems, their intelligence system, to observe what was going not only on Ukrainian coast, but also they had possibility to observe what was happening in Transnistria, <clears throat> because this island is closer to, to the western part of, uh, of the Black Sea. Mm, at the same time, they were using uh, this island to put their air defense systems. I mean, after they lost Moskva, their flagman they were using partially this island to put these systems to protect their ships in the in the Black Sea, uh, and for that reason, uh, this uh, small island was extremely important. They were controlling a huge amount, at least a big amount, of Black Sea being placed in this mini um, island, and we do remember that this Ukrainian operation against this island it lasted for weeks even months. Ukrainian army started um, started by shelling ships and all, all kinds of vessels coming to Zmiyny, uh, bringing people and bringing military material. There were many cases of that. Then Ukrainian army was able to hit some targets on that army, on this island, thus destructing these air defense systems and other other important ammunition. And uh, during the last days before the final departure of Russian troops from that island, there were a big amount of strikes. Almost every night we were reporting these strikes. 
and maybe it was the last last strike when Russians decided that this is just impossible for them to be there. They are just living target, and the Ukrainian army. There were uh, evidence that the Ukrainian army has in its possession important. Uh, ammunition and important maybe harpoon and maybe some other Bagdana as well Bagdana Ukrainian f- f- manufactured uh, um, uh, system and th- there is no reason for them to to be there so they left they left the island during this week and uh, let's hope that this is the end of the story uh, the, for, for Russian army they will be not able to be back on that island and thus they lost the control for Odessa, uh, Transnistria, and all the western western part of the Ukrainian coast. So, indeed, uh, this is very important because Russians, there were rumors that Russians are preparing a land operation in Odessa region. And, uh, of course, the rumors that uh, that they can attack from Transnistria, let's, uh, let's remind that Transnistria is a... Uh, is a basically Russian-dependent or Russia-controlled uh, secession region in Moldova, and they could uh, prepare a landing operation in Transnistria and then attack the Odessa Oblast uh, in Ukraine. So, and Zmini or Serpent Island was very important for them to, 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 to ensure recognition, to ensure intelligence, uh, and to ensure some other things, right? And uh, just another detail, why now? Why, for example, the Ukrainian army uh, concentrated a lot of efforts now to liberate Zmini is that uh, we do know that Ukrainian army has some tactical successes in the south, namely around Kherson and region, and Mykolaiv as well. And for, for them, it was strategically important to... To, to make Russians leave from Zmini uh, in order to be more operational in the south, in the, this counterattack, which is still prepared. It will maybe take uh, weeks or maybe even months to start, but it was extremely important for Ukrainian army to liberate this, uh, this strategic point for Russian army. And it is also a question of eventual deblocking the Black Sea. Let's not forget that Odessa ports, there are three ports in Odessa, which uh, played the key role in exporting Ukrainian food, Ukrainian grain, uh, all over the world. And this is also a, a big question, as as we all know, uh, we have a special podcast on this issue, so I advise you to listen to it, why uh, why uh, the deblocking of Black Sea is, is so important. Uh, one little thing is that, as you mentioned, Ukrainians used Bogdana, which is a... A, Ukrainian. Also a, a Ukrainian development, also a rocket system. Let's not forget that uh, Moskva was has been sunk after the uh, strike by another Ukrainian development, uh, Neptune. So I, I hear we hear sometimes questions that look why Ukraine is asking for so much weapons. Why don't you have your own weapons? Are you not prepared? The 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 the, the truth is that. There are lots of Ukrainian weapons, both from Soviet epoch and developed now, and uh, they're quite successful. Uh, so uh, Ukraine needs arms from the West, not because we don't have our own arms. So far, the key fighting is made by Ukrainian own arms, own weapons. But of course, Ukraine needs some more high-precision, more modern, modern things. Uh, they are still 
coming very slowly. Let's uh, let's let's state this fact, and we keep on analyzing it on on Ukraine world. Let's talk about the third issue of this uh, podcast: the situation on the front line. And the situation on the front line we already started with Zmini. This is a Ukrainian success, but there are also Ukrainian. Um, I, I don't want to say defeats, but um, Ukrainian the difficult situation and. Uh, Uh, Ukrainians are retreating more and more from Luhansk Oblast and they are right now increasingly retreating from Lysychansk. Yes, really today we are starting already to receive information about the potential retreat of Ukrainian troops from Lysychansk. So Severodonetsk uh, was left by Ukrainian troops last week. Uh, there were some battle in Lysychansk, but in Lysychansk, what was the problem? The Russians, they changed their tactics. They were not attacking Lysychansk frontally. They tried to uh, to approach the city of Lysychansk from the south, thus uh, encircling Ukrainian troops inside the whole area. And that's why at that very minute we are talking, uh, maybe tomorrow this will be official, But as far as we understand, Ukrainian troops are already preparing their retreat from Lysychansk. But let's say this is not a tragedy. Um, why this is not a tragedy? The most important issue for Ukraine now is to preserve its troops. Because if 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 we lose troops, we will lose territories. If we lose just Lysychansk or even some other villages or even cities at that very moment, but we preserve Ukrainian army, we will be able to counterattack later with more trainings we'll, uh, from uh, our Western partners, with more weapons, we'll be able to do, to do, to reconquer this territory. But if we lose troops, it will be dramatic for the whole territory of Ukraine. So the strategical change in Ukrainian tactics now is to retreat when necessary, not to create this kind of um, mediation, look, we are losing territories. Yes, indeed, Lysychansk is a small city, small town, like Severodonetsk, even smaller. This is not a big city. This is not Mariupol. This is not Kherson. They are retreating from it, and they are making, if you look on the map, you'll see that even if Ukrainian uh, uh, Ukrainian troops will retreat from Lysychansk, they will have a kind of a straight front line, uh, m- much more easy to defend in the coming uh, in the coming uh, weeks. Uh, you, Russian operation to take Lugansk uh, region started back in April, so we have April, May, June, three months of. In- dramatic battle for not such a big number of square kilometers in this and uh, the, the losses of Ukrainian ar- uh, Russian army in this battle is also huge are also huge so now we are talking about 35,000 of Russian soldiers who lost their lives during this war Ukrainian losses are also here but the The, the tactics of Ukrainian army, which is less in numbers and less in weapons, is to exhaust Russian uh, attack and then to counterattack later. So Lysychansk is very likely to be, um, to be lost for Ukrainians at that moment, but uh, we shouldn't uh, overestimate Yeah, but we shouldn't They underestimate tra- either. I, w- I would contest you on this because, uh, of course, well, this... Triangle of cities, Rubizhne, Lysychansk, Severodonetsk. Let's explain to our audience that they played a, a central administrative role after 
the occupation of the parts of Luhansk Oblast in 2014, in particular the city of Luhansk, and Severodonetsk was a new center of this Luhansk Oblast, but it's an agglomeration of three cities, actually, who kind of uh, turn one to another. And first Ukrainians uh, lost Rubizhne, then Severodonetsk, now Lysychansk. I, uh, I agree with you that, uh, that strategically, and there was a, a great risk of being encircled because this is uh, strategically, if you look in the in the front line, there is kind of a Ukrainian enclave already almost surrounded by Russian forces. Uh, strategically, f- from the military point of view, I think that there is a right decision to retreat. But of course, uh, I mean, we cannot say that this is not tragic because yeah, our this, people, are, are, our people are there. Uh, Ukrainian people are there. There are lots of people who continue living in the occupied territories, unfortunately, in the Luhansk Oblast, in in Kharkiv Oblast. And and this is all becomes very... Just just one remark, which is important. So in the beginning of this operation in Donbass, in Lugansk region, we were talking about 90% of the whole region already occupied. Already occupied in March. So three months later... Three months later, we are talking about that maybe during this week there will be 100%. So they spent three months, I mean, Russian army, they claim it to be the second army in the world, spent three months to, to take 10% of only one region in Ukraine. So this talks a lot about the strength of Russian army. So they spent, they lost a lot of soldiers, they lost a lot of weapons, they lost a lot of courage as well, because the, we, we are not talking about these first days and weeks of war when the Russians were so, they were so sure of their victory. So they are demoralized as well. And uh, they're paying high price for, for that. And this is a, a, a good example of Ukrainian resistance because this resistance was extremely strong. Uh, we still lack uh, weapons, necessary weapons to defend efficiently the territory. But uh, we are sure that if all weapons arrive here after trainings, after all these uh, strategic plans, uh, Ukrainian army will be capable to take again Lysychansk and Severodonetsk and others. Yes, but let's also not create this illusionary vision uh, that probably sometimes uh, there was created in March, in April, when all the world have seen uh, how brave Ukrainians are, how they're resisting, and the Russians retreated from many regions. Now Russians changed the tactics. They spent all their forces on one very tiny uh, part of the front line and and on this tiny part of the front line the situation is like hell we indeed receive uh, you know all our facebook pay all our facebook uh timelines is just full of of necrologues of of reports about ukrainian soldiers dead and uh, russians are uh, advancing they're advancing their offensive is is there it is present and they're actually achieving this purpose of occupying at least luhansk oblast i i agree with you that this is uncomparably small achievement compared to what they they wanted on uh, 24th of february uh, but they they are already almost there uh, on the administrative borders of the Luhansk Oblast. Donetsk Oblast is still, uh, still they have not approached much. 
also in Kharkiv, etc. So, just um, a, a conclusion that Ukrainians can make a counteroffensive, but resources are not enough. And when we hear right moment. now, when we hear uh, right now about the arms supplies, well, France announced again it's it's giving six uh, howitzers Caesar. This is very good. But uh, when Ukrainians need several hundreds, and we got several dozens, at least reportedly, because quite probably the real number is higher. We don't know this. We don't know. Yeah. But from the from what we know from the front line, well, the 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 good weapons, Western weapons are are there, but they are not in that quantity needed, uh, at least to to talk. Uh, to talk rational, to talk reasonably about some balance of forces. We don't have this balance of forces, of course, with Russians, yeah. unfortunately. And specifically in terms of artillery systems, because uh, uh, people in the front line, they say that when the Russians, they have 10 systems, we have only one. So the ratio between Ukrainian and Russian forces at that moment is looks like that. So let's turn to another topic, the topic of geopolitics, uh, and there are two issues we will discuss in this episode, and I think that's it. The, the first issue is Belarus, and uh, in, in the recent days we hear a lot more reports that Belarus is preparing, increasingly preparing, to engage uh, into the war officially like with Belarusian army. What we had previously to explain to our audience Belarus is a complicit in the war, and by the way, it is uh, it is also named by these by Western allies by NATO. Uh, it is a Russian ally, and from Belarus, Russian army entered Ukrainian territories uh, to occupy the northern parts of of Ukraine, including Chernihiv, including coming close to Kiev. And all the atrocities in Bucha, Hostomel, uh, Irpin would not have been possible without Belarus engagement. Secondly, from Belarusian territory, there were missile attacks. Uh, thirdly, Belarusian soldiers did um, enroll into the Russian army individually. And we hear reports about Belarusian citizens as part of the Russian army. But Russia, uh, Belarusian army, army as such has not yet participated in the war, has not yet crossed the Ukrainian territory. But there are, there is information that this can happen. Yes, indeed. So now the rumors are extremely uh, high, extremely st loud, let us say so, for many weeks already. Uh, there are several problems for 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 Russia for Belarus, Belarus to start this war because, in fact, uh, Lukashenko it seems that he tries to avoid this direct confrontation with Ukrainian army. But um, there is a constant pressure coming from Putin to do so. That's why what we see during many weeks already, we see military exercises uh, in Belarus. They had to finish on the 1st of July. Now they are prolonged until the 9th of July. So nine days more, six days more now for, 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 for us to wait until the end of these exercises. And uh, they are doubling the number of their army. At least such were official declarations coming from Lukashenko. They were trying to mobilize two times more people. This is not a regular army. This is a mobilization army. And really, it is extremely difficult to say how, what will be the behavior of that uh, Belarusian soldiers, even if they are ordered to enter territory of Ukraine. 
But the reality is that, yes, indeed, Belarus is preparing for the real war. Even if we, we, are, we can talk about the fact that Belarusian army, they never made war during the decades. They have no real experiences. They have some trainings. They, they had regular trainings during summer, each summer with Russia joint exercises and it explains for example why they were so successful to send russian tanks here and then to retreat because there was extremely a complicated operation to retreat from Kiev uh, to come to Belarus and then to come to Donbass. So they were successful in that and that they made it quite quickly. But uh, they have no re- real ex- experience of the way it matters and they to- don't have that experience. Sociological polls, they give that a lot of Belar- majority, vast majority of Belarusian people, they don't want any kind of war with, with Ukraine. But when you are in the army and you receive orders, it will be difficult for you to to resist. Um, so uh, the situation is serious. We should not underestimate. So a lot of jokes about Belarusian army, a lot of jokes about Lukashenko. But we should not underestimate the risks which are real. And uh, the main direction military experts uh, are talking about the, for the possible aggression coming from Belarus is not Kyiv at that moment, is not Chernigiv. It is uh, somewhere to the west. And the main objective of that military operation coming from Belarus would be not to, uh, to conquer a city or to conquer a territory, but namely to distract Ukrainian army from the main front from the east so and by doing so they they will achieve the result of ukrainian army being obliged to fight in two opposite directions and sure enough it will not make ukrainian army stronger because it it it, it implicates a lot of things logistics battlefield uh, effort and even doing even if they attack a, a minor, maybe unexpected region in the West, they will be able to distract Ukrainian troops for, from what they are from preparing a counter uh, offensive, for example. So that's why um, it is we are to say that the, let us not underestimate this potential risk. I think you know the goal would be to um, hamper the supplies of the Western arms, Western weapons. So maybe the task of Belarusian army would be to cut the supply routes. But uh, let me draw your attention to the fact that, well, Putin really needs Belarusian engagement because he understands that he cannot defeat Ukraine only with Russian army. And uh, I recently made a comparison on, on Twitter with Poland, And uh, uh, my point is that Polish question was the key question for 20th century Europe, and Ukrainian question would be the key question and is the key question for 21st century Europe. Why? Because one of the key questions of 20th century Europe, in particular after the First World War, was the question whether Poland would be divided again. The second division of Poland, or let's say the second big division of Poland, compared to the three divisions of Poland in the late uh, 18th century. And Poland was divided again in 1939. 
by Soviet Union and by Nazi Germany. So I think that, well, this is a dream, a nightmare dream of Russia to have Ukraine divided. The division of Ukraine. This is something that we hear from, uh, from Russian propaganda all the time. That, uh, look, that Poland, this, this way, Poland is seen as, as a, another country of Poland, Romania and Hungary, which will come and cut the, the territories of the Western Ukraine. As these countries do not want to, to do that, obviously, uh, the, the hope is for Belarus, that Belarus will come and at least cut uh, the northern parts of Ukraine. I think this is kind of a, this, uh, n- uh, this nightmare dream. Uh, because I think the dream of Putin would be to really to cut half of Ukraine, the the bigger half, as they did in uh, late uh, 18th century with Poland. They basically Poland was divided between uh, Russian Empire, Habsburg, uh, Austria, and and Prussia. Uh, and um, I think they're really dreaming of the fact that Ukraine collapses the state, that Russia cuts half of Ukraine. And then the other countries uh, cut the remaining halves. And this is something that they're really thinking about. Yeah, but we have different dreams and we have different, uh, we have still possibilities to defend uh, Ukrainian sovereignty. And um, coming back to Lukashenko, maybe the last thing is that unfortunately for Ukraine, uh, Lukashenko has no room for, uh, for choice, in fact. So he's extremely dependent on Russian economy. He's isolated as as Russia is now, so he's cut off from markets. Uh, he's under sanctions, and unfortunately, he has no room for for resistance against Putin's will. That's the problem for us, and he's trying what he's trying to do what he can do because uh, it is quite visible for us that he he's not eager to to enter this war at all, but um, he would be a, he could be obliged to do so. So this is the risk is real, and we are to observe attentively, really attentively, what is going on the northern and western border of Ukraine with Belarus. Yes, and the last topic, very briefly, NATO summit in Madrid this week, and uh, the NATO agreed. Of course, the, the big deci- the big de- the decision is to invite Finland and Sweden. Uh, or NATO overcome the objection of Turkey. We will not discuss this in detail because you, you you know you can learn from this about this from many other sources which are better informed than uh, than us. Uh, but the key thing I think for Ukraine is the new uh, strategic concept of NATO, and uh, one of its phrase uh, I think it's Article Eight. Uh, is about Russia, and Russia is named uh, a key threat. So the quote, the Russian Federation is the most significant and direct threat to allies' security and to peace and stability in the Euro-Atlantic area. Mm-hmm. That's it. So this, why is this is important for Ukraine? Because uh, this is a thing we were talking already for many years, starting from... 2014, when Russia annexed Crimea. So we are talking about this direct threat. We are talking already about the fact that, for example, Russia was using gas and oil as geopolitical uh, weapons. Uh, nobody trusted Ukraine at that very moment. So everybody was in Europe, at least, was skeptical about that. So now it is coming back. I would say this is... Uh, 
seen from Ukraine, it's like NATO is coming back to reality and opening eyes about what is really happening in Russia and about the real dangers it represents not only for Ukraine, but also for, for the aliens. Exactly. And we can we can say that this is a, a, a big change compared to the previous strategic concept of NATO where Russia was seen as a as a partner, as a strategic partner. Now there is a clearly said, I think it is here, it is clearly said that Russia is no longer a partner. And that poses many other questions. Uh, for example, the question of, of uh, NATO-Russia agreements, because the agreements of, on partnership agreements, they, they, they still have, but whether they, they will be denounced or not. Another question is, of course, of what is going on in Lithuania. We didn't we didn't discuss that, but what is going on uh, with Lithuania imposing sanctions on Russia, e- including the transfer of Russian people and goods through Lithuania to Kaliningrad. Some goods, not all of them. Yes, yeah. this is also one one of important topics. But um, but it seems that we are coming back really to in in the in the middle of these atrocities this hot war of Russia against Ukraine. We are coming to the climate of the Cold War between the West and Russia. Uh, maybe the Cold War, uh, which can also turn into this something bigger. But uh, the interpretation of, of Russia doing such things because it felt that it lost the Cold War and it seems that it just wanted to come back to this period of the Cold War to, for, for a kind of revenge, and if not revenge, to be in a situation when it is, when it is normal for Russia to be in such a situation. Um, I would uh, only remind you that uh, several months ago, uh, just before the war started, uh, Putin recognized publicly that in a di- direct uh, confrontation with NATO, Russian army is weaker. Uh, it was before the war started. So it is extremely strong signal sent to Putin when when NATO is naming Russia as a strategic uh, threat. So Putin finally understands that he has a very strong, um, strong uh, NATO close to Russia. Um, so NATO challenges Putin at that very moment because they are not talking about partnership and Putin realizes that um, nuclear weapons uh, Putin, uh, put it apart. Um, in conventional weapons, Russia is weaker than NATO. So now he will be dealing with a big alliance which is stronger and he, he publicly recognized that. So it will change things in the region and uh, we also are to also to take into consideration that NATO will be um, putting more people, more troops, NATO troops in Europe. Biden um, mentioned 300,000 of NATO soldiers on the eastern... eastern It's a rapid, rapid reaction force, yeah, yeah. which can be mobilized very quickly. And another question is, of course, about Ukraine. Ukraine now is not invited to join NATO now. But uh, NATO reiterated the decision of Bucharest summit in which, to 2008, in which we remember that there is a phrase that uh, Ukraine and Georgia will become NATO members. But I think what is more important is that 
including through this war, Ukraine is going on NATO standards in weaponry, in logistics, in communication, in uh, in, in in the in intelligence, in many many other different things. So Ukraine is increasingly becoming a a country which is having an army which is acting on NATO standards. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. Uh, Volodymyr Yermolenko and Tetyana Oharkova were with you. This is a joint production by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media angels. You can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We spend a big amount of your support, uh, your donations to help people affected by this war and to help Ukrainian resistance. We are traveling a lot uh, across Ukraine to different cities, different towns affected by this war. And you can hear some of this uh, our, in our reports, some of this information in our reports, in our podcasts. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine. <laughs>